Well, I want to welcome you to church this morning. It's so good to be with you after being away on vacation for a little while. There are great things happening in this church. I'm so grateful I get to say that I miss my church when I'm not there. I do. There are so many amazing things happening here at our campus in Ahwatukee, and I want to welcome you. Uh, maybe you've been coming here for a long time, or maybe this is your first day, and you're, you're thinking, I don't know what's up with all these weird people. Why does that young, crazy kid have a microphone? Look, I'm just here to welcome you to church. We're going to have a good time. We're continuing a series of teaching called Stand Firm, and we're talking about spiritual warfare. You are in a battle for your life, whether you realize it or not. You have an enemy, and God wants you to stand firm against that enemy. Make sure that you're here next week, because I'm going to talk about the secret weapon of spiritual warfare. You do not want to miss that. So let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you'll help us to receive it, understand it, and apply it to our lives this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would be with the Arizona Cardinals right now. God, we've got an old quarterback and a broken running back, Lord, but you are making all things new. So we lift this team up to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the body armor of righteousness. If you're old school, maybe you grew up calling it the breastplate of righteousness, but most men today don't call this their breast. So I call it the, the body armor of righteousness. I'm grateful for this modern translation. Your body armor, this breastplate of righteousness or chestplate of righteousness is designed to be one of the key pieces of armor which defends and protects your most vital organs. If you know anything about warfare, you know that of course you want to strike a blow at the enemy, but if you can hurt him around his vital organs, around lungs or the heart, that's a chance of striking a mortal blow. That's what the enemy wants to do to you. The devil, he wants to attack you and hurt you, and we've discussed that the weapons he uses are temptation and accusation. So he goes after you and he goes after you where it counts most in your heart. That's why Proverbs 24, 3 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So you want to put on that body armor to guard your heart. So we want to put on the body armor of righteousness. Let's get on the same page here. What is righteousness? If you're new to church, you might be thinking, well, what does that word mean exactly? It comes from the Greek word dukeosune, righteousness. It's defined as this. There's two parts to this definition. It's the state of him who is as he ought to be, the condition of being wholly conformed to the will of God. And then on the other side, it's virtue, purity of life, integrity, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So if you're taking notes because you actually care about your walk with God, write this down. <laughs> Righteousness defines my standing before God and my standard of living. 
There's two parts to righteousness. So how do you put on the body armor of righteousness? We're going to talk about this today. You live it out and you live in it. You want to live out righteousness and you want to live in righteousness. I want to help you understand God's standard and understand your standing. So first, if you want to wear the body, of, the body armor of righteousness, live out righteousness. How many of you would say that there was a time in your life when you thought of Christians as the fun Nazis? This religious group of people whose sole purpose was to steal all of your joy and tell you that you couldn't do all the things that you love to do. I've been there, right? Uh, I, I remember as a young guy, I grew up and I went to a Christian school. Now, maybe that sounds like a good thing to you. I did not feel that way as a young guy going to a Christian school. I used to ask my parents every year, please let me go to public school, please. But my dad was a pastor of this church. The church had a Christian school, and it probably wouldn't have looked good if the pastor didn't send his own son to his school. So I was sent to this Christian school, this school that had so many rules, so many rules, right? It was like being a Jew under the Old Testament covenant. There were so many rules designed to crush the spirit of a rambunctious boy. You couldn't do anything without asking for permission. You couldn't do anything without doing something wrong and getting detention. And listen, y'all, I broke every rule. If there was a rule, I broke it. I got detention, I got suspension, and I got my butt whooped. This school had corporal punishment, you know, so you got spanked with a paddle like some of you did if you had loving parents, because loving parents do spank their kids. Amen? I got into fist fights. I cursed at teachers. I stole from the snack bar. I cheated on tests. I pulled a series of pranks so bad that one principal resigned. Right now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor Ryan, you were a terrible person. I would say, why do you think I understand you so well? I've been there. Broke all the rules. Some people view the Bible as a rule book. And on the surface, it might seem like a list of rules designed to ruin your fun. But that is a completely immature view of what God is doing in his word. The reality is that because God is a good and loving father, he gives us guidelines. He gives us boundaries. He gives us guardrails to lead us towards blessing and protect us from destruction. So understand, some of you are loving parents. Some of you are still figuring that out. Some of you would say, you know, son, don't put those scissors into that outlet. That's a rule, right? It's a boundary. It's a guideline designed to protect your child. Now, my dad had four kids growing up. He didn't have a lot of rules. I think he figured, you know, I got four kids. We could lose one or two. So maybe you just want to let natural selection play out a little bit in your family. I, I can understand that. But listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That means there is a right way or a righteous way to live your life, to live out righteousness. And there's a destructive way. God's way of living 
a righteous way of living, it protects us from the attacks of an enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy us. Satan, or the devil, that name, his very name means liar and accuser. So his strategy, the way he wants to destroy you, is through temptation and accusation. Temptation, he wants to tempt you. And he wants to draw you into sin. And so he tries to draw some people into sin and keep them from experiencing what God has for them. And then even sometimes as Christian, as a Christian, he wants to draw you into sin. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Watch this. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That is intense, right? I mean, that means that disobedience to God is actually obedience to the devil. That's intense. In the 70s, there was a comedian named Flip Wilson who coined the phrase, the devil made me do it. His comedy sketch was pretty funny, right? It's, the devil made me do it. And maybe you know some people who've talked like that. You know, man, I didn't want to do that, but the devil made me do it. I wouldn't have said such things, but the devil made me do it. And then Taylor Swift just wrote a song about this. Devil, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do, Right? Did you know that was about the devil? I think it is anyways. The devil cannot make you sin. So that's good news. But what he does is he can lie to you and make it sound and look like it's worth disobeying God. Like, come on, you know, it's, it's, it's going to feel so good. No one will find out. No one could be expected to put up with what you've put up with. Go ahead. Everyone's doing this. No one will judge you. It's going to be worth it. The devil wants to destroy you by helping you destroy yourself. And I don't think that we always realize that sin, it makes God so sad because he created us and he loves us. And he knows that sin only hurts us. So the enemy will use sin to lure people away from God and from saving faith towards their destruction. But even as a born-again Christian, the enemy still goes for your vital organs, tempting you to do what you should not do. And listen, every time you sin as a Christian, it's like lifting up the body armor of righteousness and giving the enemy a free shot at your heart. He wants to rob you of blessing, and he wants to undercut your potential. And maybe you say, but I'm a Christian, right, pastor? So God will forgive me when I sin. The answer is yes, he will forgive you. But sometimes in this life, even when we are forgiven, we still have to face the consequences of sin. The good news is that someday when you're in heaven with Jesus, you'll be free from all the consequences of your sinful choices on this earth. But in the meantime, you can be forgiven and still be paying child support. You can be forgiven and still have a criminal record. You can be totally forgiven and still lose your job. You can be totally forgiven and still destroy your marriage. You can be forgiven and alienate your kids. The enemy knows that a sinful choice today might compromise your potential tomorrow. 
And that's why he wants to draw you into sin, even as a Christian. Jesus talks in Mark chapter four, a parable about sowing seeds on different types of soil. In one type of soil, it says, a seed was sowed onto the soil, a plant that sprung up, but it was choked out by thorns. And Jesus went on to say that these thorns, they were the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. And because these, these plants were choked out, they didn't produce any fruit. That's what the enemy wants to do when he, when he tempts you into sin. He wants to stop your life from producing any fruit. He wants you to be ineffective for God. He's saying, well, if I can't stop you from heaven, I want to keep you from doing anything on this life, in this life. And, and I want to keep you from helping anyone else get to heaven with you. I want to prevent you from experiencing all the good things that God has for you. I want to rob you of the blessings that he wants to give you. So he wants to choke it out. He lures you into sin. He wants to trap you there, but there's good news. Proverbs 29, six says, evil people are trapped by sin, but the righteous escape shouting for joy. Come on, if you've escaped, you gotta shout for joy this morning. If you'd say, I was trapped in sin, but then Jesus set me free. So maybe you gotta know, how, how do you escape? How do you escape so you can live out righteousness? Well, here's the way. If when you sinned, you were obeying the devil, the way that you escape as James 4, 7 says, is to submit yourselves to God. You submit yourselves to God. That means you don't just ask Jesus into your heart, but rather you bow your knee in submission to him, pledging him your allegiance and loyalty and making him the Lord of your life. When you do that, you are righteous in his sight, and then you become empowered to do this. Resist the devil. It's a common misunderstanding, a common misquote of scripture that says, at the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. That's not what the Bible actually says. The Bible doesn't say anything like that. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you become a Christian, when you receive Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you, which empowers you to do what you could not do before. Resist the devil, thus enabling you to defeat him in his attacks. That's what you want. But then people would say, being honest, guy in the back row right now, I can tell he's thinking, but it's so hard. I'm picking on back row Billy right now. <laughs> so hard, pastor. I want to do what's right, but sometimes I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. And, and even Paul, the apostle who wrote so much of the New Testament, he said, Sometimes I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. And I'm so grateful that God allowed him to write that in Scripture so that we would know, man, I, I, I'm not alone. right? So I, I'm not the only one that's struggling at times when I face temptation to do what's right. So I want to give you some practical tips real quick. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. When you're facing temptation, here are some strategies to resist temptation. First, Remember, remember, you're not the first person to face this temptation. Sometimes it helps just to know, man, I'm not the first person to struggle with lust. I'm not the first one who the devil has tempted to lose my temper. He's smart. He's been using these strategies for years. So I'm not alone. The enemy, he wants to isolate you and make you feel alone. And he will tell you, wow, look at you feeling this way. Man, no other Christians probably feel this way. But remember, you're not the first person to face this temptation. Second, consider the consequences of sin. 
Man, you really want to think about this. This will sober you up quickly. I knew a pastor who was going through a dark time, and he was considering having an affair. He had gotten to that point where he was actually thinking through having an affair. And by God's grace, he was led to sit down and make a list. God led him to list out what he had to gain and what he had to lose. And so he wrote, what did I have to gain? Sex. Maybe even exciting sex. Just being honest. But what do I have to lose? Well, maybe my marriage and my wife, who I've been with all these years. Maybe I I could lose the respect of my family and my children. I could lose the respect of my, my peers. I might lose my job probably will. And if I lose my job, I might lose my income and I might lose my house. And and as you think through the consequences of sin, it's amazing how the lies of the enemy quickly disappear and we see the truth for what it is. So consider the consequences. Third, run away if necessary. Run away if necessary. Spiritual warfare is one fight where you can win by running away. The apostle Paul said, flee sexual immorality. Because it's tempting, right? And and he wants to draw you, flee, run away. And then fourth, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Are you facing temptation? You feel something pulling you towards sin, to something you know you shouldn't do? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you in that moment. It's incredible how often we forget to ask our helper for help. Say, God, I'm feeling tempted. Guess what? You're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. Help me. Help me right now, and he will. I just walked through an experience like this where God helped me to resist some temptation. I was at LA Fitness on Friday working out. I mean, obviously I do that. And uh, (laughs) I uh, was getting ready to use this squat rack, and there's kind of this unwritten rule at the gym where nobody's using equipment. You know, you kind of wait a second and make sure no one's on, and then you go ahead and feel free to use it. So I did the thing, you know, where you walk over to the equipment and kind of like, you know, anybody using this? I made that face, like, (laughs) speak now or forever, hold your peace. So nobody came up. I'm like, all right, it's time to do some work. Loaded up my bar, started putting weights on, started getting ready, you know, loosening up, singing Eye of the Tiger to myself. And then I go, I finally, I start getting ready to lift this weight. And all of a sudden, this guy comes barreling up on me out of nowhere. This guy's muscular and angry, and he's yelling at me, like belligerently yelling, what are you doing? I was using that. I only stepped away for a minute. Can't you see? Screaming at the top of his lungs. And I was kind of taken back, you know, for a moment. This is a grown man throwing a temper tantrum. Like a child that went into a nursery, dibs, 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 dibs. These are all my toys, right? And I'm not going to lie, you know, your pastor's barely saved sometimes. So I started getting mad. But by God's grace, I walked away. I was like, all right, fine. I walked away, went over to the other side of that space, started setting up another bar with weight to continue on my workout. But I'm not going to lie, you guys. I was mad. And I stayed mad. Even for the next 10, 15 minutes, I was over there thinking to myself, man, that guy, I ought to just, I should have just told that guy where he could put his weights I should have put him in a rear naked choke. (laughs) And then I'm thinking to myself in shame, kind of like, man, you call yourself a man. You let that guy talk to you that way. 
I mean, this guy was making such a scene that all these people in that space were looking at me like, what's going on? I felt humiliated. I felt like as a man, maybe I should have told this guy to go away. <laughs> but then I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that in that moment, by God's grace, he helped me in that situation. First, it's good to just remember, you know, I'm not the first person to feel disrespected, right? And it's hard for men to feel disrespected. Oftentimes we lash out in anger when we feel that way. And then he helped me to think through the consequences of sin, I just figured it wouldn't look very good for our church if in the newspaper this week it said local pastor arrested at LA Fitness for fighting over gym equipment. You know? That might have been awkward. So I actually ran away. Actually, in a sense, I walked away from this guy and just said, you know, good luck. Good luck. I'm glad I did. And I had to ask the Holy Spirit for help because even 10 minutes went by, 15 minutes, and I was still thinking about that guy. I was looking at him in the mirror even. I see you over there. Mm. I hope you drop that weight on yourself. I had to pray, God, help me. Just help me right now. I need to move on. I'm grateful that he did because there was a time that I wouldn't have responded that way. Right? There was a time I would have said something. There was a time I might have gotten a fight. And guess what? I'm not perfect, you guys, but I'm not where I used to be. How many are you glad? Aren't you glad that God takes you forward? Even when you still make mistakes, you're not the person you used to be. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. This verse says you've been brought from death to life. You're a new creation in Christ. You're no longer the person who you used to be. Like we sang, that means you're free from slavery to fear, but you're also free from slavery to your temper and to lust and to greed and to selfishness. You are enabled by the Holy Spirit to become an instrument of righteousness and live out righteousness to work out righteousness day to day in your choices. It's not always easy, is it? But it's always better. God always has a better way and he loves you and he wants to bless you. And I know, I know some people are thinking, it's just so hard though, man. I, I always, I always seem to give in. But let me just be honest with you. One of the reasons it's so hard for you to resist temptation is because you don't prepare for the battle. If you never come to church, or only when football season is not going on, if you never read your Bible, if you never pray, you're like a soldier who doesn't take care of his equipment. And any soldier would tell you, my rifle is a powerful weapon, but if I don't take care of it, it could fail me in the moment I need it most and could cost me my life. My body armor is powerful defense, but if I abuse it, I can compromise its structural integrity and become vulnerable to attack. But if you commit yourself to preparing for the spiritual warfare that is ahead of you, God promises that you'll be able to resist the enemy. In Proverbs 21, 21, it says this, whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find. Does it say might find? No, it says will find life, righteousness, and honor. 
That means as a Christian, if you pursue righteousness, if you say, man, I I want this in my life, God will help you. And then let's be honest, there's a point where as a Christian, where you grow in your walk with God and you start to gain victory over things that you used to struggle with. And I'm not going to lie, you start to feel pretty good. And you should. You start to feel pretty good, man. Hey, I'm really growing here. I didn't murder anyone this week. (laughs) Haven't cursed anyone out in days, y'all. Didn't cheat at all this week, man. God is moving in my life. But I want to challenge your understanding of sin. Sin falls into two general categories. There are willful, sinful choices, which a lot of times the Old Testament calls iniquities and transgressions. And then there is general sin, which is not living up to God's standard in any way. We sin when we choose to do what's wrong, but also when we fail to do what's right. That means we sin by commission and omission. Sometimes we sin in what we do, and sometimes we sin in what we fail to do. Sin is a term that means to miss the mark. It comes from an archery term, to miss the mark. I'll show you an example in Judges chapter 20, verse 16. It says, among all of these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That word miss is translated from the Hebrew word chata. It's a great word to say if you've got something in your throat. It's very fun. Chata. Same word is translated 188 times in the Old Testament as sin. So in context, translators read this and they say, you know, that this word should be translated to miss. And, I, and that's correct. I agree with that. But this word is also translated as sin, which carries the idea that you miss the mark. In Jeremiah 33, the same word is used to describe idol worship. In Leviticus 4, it's used to describe sin, which is done in ignorance, even without your, without your knowledge or, or knowing. And, and so now you think about that, right? And that raises the standard quite a bit about what is sin. And honestly, it can be pretty discouraging if you're being truthful. You might say, come on, man, I'm a pretty good person, you know? Like, I donated to hurricane relief. I might have missed the mark, but at least I was aiming at the mark. That's pretty good, right? That's good enough, isn't it? But listen, we don't serve a good enough God. We serve a perfectly righteous God, and he does not compromise his standards so that we'll feel better about ourselves. And it makes sense now. Maybe you'll understand this in a new way when it says in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now think about that. Maybe you haven't thought about this before. If you fall short of God's glorious standard, that could mean that you were trying with everything you had to reach God's standard, but you fell short. You fell short. You might think that I was telling you a story about how I did not sin at LA Fitness, but that's actually not the case. I did not commit a sin, but I did sin by omission because anything you do short of what Jesus himself would do is missing the mark. Jesus would have said, oh, go right ahead, sir. So sorry for the misunderstanding. Allow me to buy you lunch to make it up to you. And I was over in the corner, that guy, I just wanna punch him right in the face. So I did sin by failing to live up to the standard that Jesus would uphold. 
Anytime you do not love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you've sinned by coming short of the standard. So I've got bad news and I've got good news. You're a much worse sinner than you fear, but God is much more loving than you hoped. You can be encouraged in this realization. We should aim for God's standard and try to live out righteousness, but our chances of meeting that standard are hopeless. So if we can't perfectly live out righteousness, we've got to learn to live in righteousness. You got to live in righteousness. Tell your neighbor, I'm not perfect, but I know someone who is. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 46. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? He said this in a room full of his enemies. And yet he threw down the gauntlet and said, who can truthfully say that I've ever sinned? Let me just be telling you the truth right now. I would never say that. They say, don't ask a question you don't want to know the answer to. If I asked who can accuse me of sin, there'd be about 15 people in this room right now. He'd be like, my wife could, my mom could. They'd be like, oh yeah, I can tell you about lots of sins. Right? I already told you about some of my sins. But Jesus was so righteous that he could stand in front of his enemies and say, who's going to say that I've sinned? Even Pilate, who accused him to death, confessed, I have shed innocent blood. Jesus was perfectly righteous. There was no sin in him. He was 100% man, but also 100% God. He was completely without fault, unlike us. But look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we're saying that God took your sins, your sins of commission and your, your sins of omission, and he placed all of them on Jesus. He made Jesus to be your sin, and then he nailed your sin to the cross when he allowed his son to be nailed to the cross. Jesus paid this price for sin that he did not commit so that your debt could be wiped away. And then there's good news, right? It says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, that's Jesus' faithfulness to God's standard, combined with our faith, our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's possible to have peace with God and be made righteous. We're not made righteous by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died to make it possible for the whole world to be saved, but the whole world will not be saved. You're made righteous by placing your trust in Jesus who died and rose again. You've got to put your faith in his faithfulness. You've got to put your faith in his righteousness. That's what I'm trying to say. You need to know how you can live in righteousness. The enemy who is an accuser, he will attack you. He will try to discourage you and defeat you. And you probably will recognize how some of these accusations sound. He'll say, you'll never you'll never be able to do it. He'll ask, you still sin 
in this way all these years? You call yourself a Christian and you do that? Why do you think God is going to answer your prayers when you can't even keep your word to him? You're hopeless. And that's when you have to tell your enemy, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it if you know it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. See, the enemy will accuse you. He'll come against you. And the truth is he's right to accuse you. There have been times when I've failed to resist temptation. But where I have failed, Jesus stood strong. There have been times where I failed to love my enemy. And yet Jesus, his love is never failing. I'm trying to say this. Jesus lived the perfect life that I could not live. Jesus paid the debt for sin that I could not pay. I could not defeat death. And so Jesus gave me life. He lived it on my behalf. For those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you need to know this. We can't uphold the standard, but we've got right standing through Jesus Christ. If you know it's true, you got to give him praise. You get to tell the enemy, I'm standing on the solid rock. So you can look at the enemy and say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You can try to attack me with accusations, but I've got the body armor of righteousness. And as one great theologian said, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say to me bounces off and sticks to you. It's true. Is what it says in Isaiah 61, verse 10. It says this, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Maybe you come to church and you wonder, why are these people worshiping so passionately? It's because they're overwhelmed with joy in their God. Maybe you wonder why people are clapping during this sermon. It's because they're overwhelmed with joy because they've been saved by a God who loves them. Look what it goes on to say. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. When I was an officer in the army, we had a dress uniform and our dress uniform, we had badges and, and medals and citations for various accomplishments and achievements and victories. And, and that was kind of a way to display what you had accomplished. We also had rank, which, which conveyed and designated our authority and the privilege that goes with that authority. In America, it's actually illegal to wear a uniform that you should not wear. It's illegal to display medals and awards that you did not earn, but that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you get to live in his uniform. You get to take credit for his achievements. 
You get to walk in the victory of his accomplishments. You get to put on salvation and take credit for his authority. Come on, you gotta give God praise this morning if you know that God has done something in your life, that he's clothed you in righteousness. You know what this verse says? It says, fellas, it's time to suit up. Ladies, it's time to get fancy. You gotta put on the robe of righteousness. The enemy cannot cover you in sinfulness because Jesus has already clothed you in righteousness. You are a new creation in Christ. You are victorious through his faithfulness. That means you got hope for today and a living hope for tomorrow. Man, I'm so grateful for our God. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I just pray that we could take this truth and apply it to our lives that we put on this body armor of righteousness so that we can stand firm. And and I believe that God wants to challenge you and to encourage you this morning. Depending on where you're at in your walk with God, you're probably struggling in one of these two areas even more so than the other. First church, I wanna encourage you to live out righteousness. Live it out day by day. Gotta work it out. It does take effort. But you're not trying to live out righteousness so that you can impress other Christians. You're not trying to live out righteousness to earn some kind of favor from God. You live out righteousness because God wants to bless you and protect you from harm. So don't put yourself in harm's way. Remember the consequences of your choices. And then some of you, you need to really hear this this morning. You need to live in righteousness. You need to live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The enemy has been accusing you and condemning you, and you need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. He is going to accuse you, our enemy, the devil. He is going to attack you, and he's gonna say, you'll never do enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be strong enough. And you can just say, you're right but Christ is enough for me. He's enough for me. I'm not enough, but I don't have to be enough because Jesus Christ is enough for me. And I can stand in that victory and I can have a confidence which doesn't even make sense to other people because Christ is enough for me. Could you bow your heads this morning? Just, I wanna ask if you're here and you say, I'm not a Christian, I've never placed my trust in Jesus, but I want to. Maybe you would say, I once was, but I ran away from God. I've been away so long, I can't even remember what it felt like to be home with him. I want you to know that today you can be made right with God. You can step across that line from death into life. You can have your status changed before God from sinner to son. You can become a son and a daughter of God by simply saying, I believe in Jesus and I'm placing my hope in him and I'm going to trust him to do what I could not do. I'm going to trust him to live the life I could not live. I'm going to follow him from this day forward. If you're ready to take that step of faith today, maybe you feel God pulling on your heart right now and maybe you hear the Holy Spirit of God whispering to your heart saying, come home come home to me. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it in your own heart to say, God, I know that I have sinned and I need your forgiveness, but I know I can't achieve that on my own. I believe that your son, Jesus, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, the penalty I deserve. And I believe that he rose again three days later so that I could have victory over sin and death. So I pledge you my loyalty, Jesus. I want to follow you from this day forward and experience the blessing of living in your love. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to recognize what God has done in your life and celebrate with you. So I'm going to ask you to just shoot your hands up on the count of three as a way of responding to that prayer you prayed right now. One, God loves you. Two, there's nothing better than following him. Three, just shoot your hand up real quick. That's awesome. That's so great. Anyone else? So awesome, man. Anyone? Thank you, sir. Anyone else over here? That's awesome. Why don't we just give God praise right now? We have every reason. We get to come to him just as we are. He accepts us. 